cover the last two chapters of 1 Corinthians tonight, chapters 15 and 16. Uh, and as Paul closes out this letter to the church in Corinth, uh, we have to remember something very important about this city. This is a predominantly Greek city. Um, so this church uh, is challenged. It's challenged, yes, on the inside, because uh, how many of us are perfect? Anybody? Uh, I saw a couple of husbands pointing to their wives. That doesn't count. Uh, no, none of us are perfect. And so guess what? We're going to be challenged inside these walls. But we're also going to be challenged because of the culture that we are a part of, the culture that we live in. And so we have to remember the, the challenges, right? We've, we've seen this church. Paul has dealt with so many challenges they have faced. Uh, a lot of those challenges have been internal. They really have. It's been the people inside the walls, uh, so to speak, the, the church body. But some of the challenges they faced, uh, it's been their culture. It's been, it's been what's lying outside of the walls of the church. And, and so tonight we've got to remember that this city, Corinth, was a predominantly Greek city. Okay, filled with many, many Gentiles. Were there Jews? Absolutely, there were Jews there. But it was a predominantly Greek city. Um, the Greeks, much like the Sadducees that we learned about this morning, the Greeks did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe that there was life after death. And so you can see this is going to be a challenge for the church. Many of the people that are a part of this church, guess who they are? They're Greek, and so they've been taught one way, and they've believed one way all their life, and they're learning about Jesus, and they're learning about God's Word, and they're learning about the church, but they're, some of them are still holding on to this belief that there is no resurrection, that there is no life after death, and so Paul's having to deal with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, it's not a part of our study tonight, but when Paul preached um, about the resurrection in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, verse 32, this is what it says. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, right? In other words, they, they laughed, basically. They laughed with like, what's this guy talking about? Like, is he serious? They sneered. But others said, we want to hear what you have to say about this subject again. And so we see... And we know that the resurrection is a hot topic. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a much debated topic for Paul and for these young believers. Uh, many of these believers could have been some of those that in Acts 17 sneered at Paul when he preached the resurrection. Some of these could be like, hey, we want to learn about it. We want to know more about this topic, this subject. And so uh, Paul, as you know, we've already learned this, Paul, when he started this letter, he told them, he said, I preach Christ crucified. That he's very strict about this, right? I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the perfect life of Christ, Christ crucified, and he has already done it once and he's fixing to do it again. He preaches Christ resurrected. And it's, it's important. And so uh, I want you to understand tonight, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the resurrection of Christ and what that means for you and what that means for me uh, as believers in Christ. So I, I obviously will not have time to read every single verse of chapter 15 and chapter 16. Uh, I apologize for that, but I'm going to try to cover uh, every topic as we roll through this. So let's start with this first passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 3. 
uh, because I just told you what really one and two is. Uh, Paul is preaching Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And in verse three, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. In other words, Paul says, the most important thing that I say to you is not about this, it's not about this, it's about Jesus. This is the most important thing that I can tell you. This is first importance. And look at what he says, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them, or most of whom, are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. I, I love this, okay? Because Paul realizes he has said a lot to this church. In this letter, he has said a lot to them. He's dealt with division. Um, he, he's dealt with disobedience. He, he, he's dealt with this sin and that sin. Uh, he's dealt with so many challenges. But he comes back right here at the end, right, of this letter. He comes back and says, let me tell you what's most important. It's Jesus. Jesus is what's, he, he is important. He is the most important. And I love this because he says the gospel that he preached, right, it was really grounded in these truths. Number one, that Christ died for our sins, right? That's the first truth that he gives us right here in this passage. Christ died for our sins. The second truth is, is that Christ was buried in the tomb. So he wanted them to know that Christ physically died and he was put into the tomb, into the grave, just like anybody else was. But what's the most important thing about your faith and my faith? Yeah, he was raised from the tomb on the third day. I'm going to tell you something, right? Um, if there's no resurrection, then what are we doing here? What, what's the point, right? I may as well be playing golf right now. It's so pretty outside, feels good. Like, if, if, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, why am I sitting here with you? Why, why are you listening to me, right? What, what do I have to offer you if Jesus was not resurrected? So Paul says, this is the most important thing that I can tell you. This is the most important person that I can give you. It's Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. So Paul wanted them to know the one in whom they believed, and he wanted them to know the full gospel. The full gospel. And if we don't believe these truths about Jesus, then we don't believe in Jesus. Let me say that again. If we don't believe these truths about Jesus, that he died, that he was put in the tomb, and that he was raised, then we don't believe in Jesus. Right? If we don't believe about Jesus, then we don't believe in Jesus. And that's what Paul was saying. These gospel truths, they are factual. 
right? This isn't some story made up. They are factual truths. And I'll tell you why. First and foremost, how many times did he say, according to the Scriptures? (laughs) He said it every time. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again, according to the Scriptures. So, these are factual truths, backed by the Scriptures, and then he said, backed by eyewitnesses, right? He started with Cephas, and then he went to the Twelve, and then he went to 500 other eyewitnesses where Jesus appeared to all of them at the same time, and then he said, he even appeared to me. And, and so, I love Dr. Tony Evans. I give you a lot of Dr. Tony Evans. He's just who I read and listen to a lot. Um, what a godly man. I love what he said. He said, the resurrection is your receipt. Listen to this. The resurrection is your receipt that God accepted Jesus' payment for your sins. Think about that. The resurrection is your receipt that God accepted Jesus' payment for your sins. And all of this happened according to the Scriptures and according to the testimony of the believers. I love this because Paul is giving so much weight and so much value to the testimony of the believers. Let me just tell you something. Do you value the testimony you have? Think about that for just a minute. So many people think, well, I don't really have anything to say. Or, or, well, what I have to say is not as good as what Delbert has to say or what Miss Donna has to say. Let me just tell you something. If God saved you, your testimony is powerful. And your testimony matters in kingdom ministry. It is evidence, right, of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will keep on doing. Because what we say this morning, does God change? So if he's been saving people all these years before us and he's saving people now, guess what? He's going to keep on saving people. Until Jesus comes again, he's going to keep saving people. And so I love this, right? This, these are facts. This is not some made-up story, right? This is not some fairy tale or some magical kingdom. This is fact, and it's based on scriptures, and it's based on eyewitnesses. And I love this because at the tail end, you know, Paul, he, ta- he starts talking about the apostles and he starts talking about how Jesus appeared to them and how powerful that testimony is. And then Paul steps back and said, you know what, I'm the least of the apostles, or at least I should be. You know what he's doing for a split second? He's thinking about who he was. He even tells us who he was, right? What does he say? I persecuted the church of God. But does he stay there? No. Now, he doesn't stay there. Why doesn't he stay there? Because... He stops throwing a little pity party for himself when he focuses on the grace of God, right? Paul pointed to the grace of God in his calling, right? He said, okay, this is who I was, but he doesn't stay there long. He says, I am who I am because of the grace of God. See, now he knows who he is, and he's comfortable in it, right? God called me to preach this gospel, and that's who I am. I wonder today how many of us don't share our testimony because we're so focused on who we were and not focused on who we are. I wonder how many of us keep our mouth shut when we should open it. I wonder how many of us don't reach out and help somebody because we're thinking, well, you know, I'm not good at it or I I probably shouldn't do that because they probably remember when I did this and did that, so I'm not even going to... How many times do we just back off when God is telling us to step up? Hmm? Paul had every right to be that guy. All these people he's witnessing to, 
Don't you know they're looking at him going, wait a minute now. <laughs> you were helping kill dudes. And now you're coming to tell me that you're one of those dudes that you were trying to kill? Like, can you see, like, the confusion maybe? And Paul could have said, well, I, I won't go there. I'll go here. No, Paul went wherever God told him to go. And he knew he was going to interact with people that knew all about his past. But Paul said, uh, it's my past. Let me tell you who I am today by the grace of God. So I love that Paul points to the grace of God. Um, man, I could stop right there. and That's a good message already. All right? But I'm not. Sorry. We're going to keep going. Look at verses 12 through 14. But if it is preached, so Paul says, here's what happened. It's Christ. He died, he was buried, he rose again. Verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Wow. I love this. Paul says, without the resurrection of Jesus. So he's not even talking right now about your resurrection, my resurrection, or the resurrection of the dead. He's, he's talking about Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, then preaching and faith are useless. I mean, what I'm doing right now, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then what I'm doing right now means nothing. I don't care how pretty it sounds. I don't care how much I decorate the words, right? Or tickle your little ears, right? If Christ was not raised, then what I'm doing right now is worthless. And if you call yourself walking by faith and you don't believe that Christ was resurrected, you don't have faith. That's not faith. It's useless. Paul goes on, and I'm not going to read all these other verses. I'll give you the chance to do that as homework as like a good teacher would do. Uh, Paul goes on in these next verses to say that if we preach Christ's resurrection, right, and it did not happen, he says we're false witnesses. So if we're preaching, right, Christ crucified, and we're preaching Christ resurrected, but it didn't really happen, then we're false witnesses to the world. That's what he says. Verse 20, he says this, but Christ has indeed... He's hammering this home, right? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, I love this, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now he references this first fruits and what he's doing is he's pointing back to Leviticus chapter 23. That's what he's doing. He's pointing back to what the first fruits was all about. Leviticus chapter 23. That is when the Israelites would bring the first fruits of their harvest to the priest as a sacrifice, as an offering to God for His great provisions. God has provided. And because He has provided, we're going to give Him the best, the first of our harvest. And so they called it the first fruits. And so they're exercising trust in God providing for them when they can't truly provide for themselves. And so now Paul is saying that's what the resurrection was. That's what the resurrection of Jesus was. We trust God to forgive us, and we trust God to forgive us because of the first fruit, Jesus, the best, right? The only one who could do it. He died for us. He rose from the grave for us, and that is the promise, right? That is the promise 
from God to us that we too will be raised from the dead. I love that. That's what Paul is referencing, is that God will provide, right? He will provide the way Christ was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God, you and I. If we die, we're going to be raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. That's powerful. That's powerful. Uh, Paul, there was something going on um, in Paul's day. And again, I, I don't have time to go into great detail, but I do want to hint at it because it is in the Scripture. Paul, he points to the absurdity of, uh, of a practice that was taking place in Corinth. Again, I told you this was a Greek city. So let me tell you what was taking place in, in Corinth. They were practicing something called the baptism of the dead. Okay? So there was this practice that if I wanted to make sure my father or one of my relatives, right, is in the resurrection, I could be baptized for them. Yeah, that was a practice that was taking place in the day. That was part of their culture. And it's still, exactly right, it still happens today. Yep, still happens today. In the Mormon church, it does. It sure does, right? I can be baptized on behalf of, okay? So that when the resurrection happens, this person will be raised from the dead too. Now, I, I, I try to be gentle and respectful and loving. That is absurd. That is completely absurd because there's nowhere in the Scripture does it say that's right. Exactly. It's the same principle of purgatory, almost exactly. And so, Paul is dealing with this issue, okay? He's dealing with this issue. Uh, I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe. He's another one. I've referenced him several times. Um, again, if you like to read commentaries and read, you know, from pastors who've been given so much wisdom, Dr. Warren Wiersbe is a great pastor, um, got a great set of commentaries. Listen to what he said. He's talking about salvation. Uh, he says this. He says, salvation is a personal matter that each person must decide for himself or for herself. No one has to be baptized to be saved. You know, you've heard me say that time and time again, right? Um, Baptism does not save you. It's when you repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you are saved, and because you're saved, you want to follow through with baptism because Jesus Christ led in that example. And so he says, no one has to be baptized to be saved. And so the phrase, he's talking about what Paul is saying, the phrase probably means baptized to take the place of those who died. But if there is no resurrection, because some of these same people that are making this practice, they don't even believe in the resurrection. But just in case, just in case there is, let's be baptized so that he can come back and she can come back. And so Dr. Wearsby says, but if there is no resurrection, why bother to witness Why bother to win others to Christ? He goes on and say, Why reach sinners who are then baptized and take the place of those who have died? Here's what he says. Each responsible person on earth, I love this, each responsible person on earth will share in either the resurrection of life and be in heaven forever with God or the resurrection of judgment and go to hell. And if you want a reference on that, I looked it up just to be sure. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. There will be two resurrections. A resurrection of life for those who believe 
in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, but there will also be a resurrection of judgment. And they will be cast into hell because they rejected Jesus. They rejected God. And so, that's the Bible. That's the truth. The resurrection is going to happen. And you heard me say it this morning. I I really do care. I really do care what you believe. But at the same time, um, if you don't believe, that's on you. That's on you. It's not on me. I'm telling you the truth. You do what you want to with the truth, right? Um, I want you to know the truth because I know the truth will set you free. But at the end of the day, you have to make the choice. If I can talk you into something, understand, I can talk you out. And so I don't want to talk you into something. I just want to share the truth of God's Word, and I want to pray that the Spirit of God will stir you and that you'll hear the voice of God and you'll say yes to God. Because saying yes to Jeff don't get nothing, right? It don't get nothing for you. You can't go to the store and say, well, Jeff said I could, I could buy this. Because <laughs> you know what they're going to ask for? Your money. <laughs> Look, don't say Jeff said it and it's good. No, I want you to hear what God has to say. And that's what Paul wants. That's what Paul wants them uh, I love this because in verses 33 and 34, I know it's a very uh, quoted passage of Scripture. Uh, I'll read it for you. Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. A lot of people think that Paul is talking about people out there. He's talking about, he's talking about the sheep who are actually wolves. He's talking about the people in the church. He's talking to the people in the church. Bad company corrupts good character. Verse 34, come back to your senses as you ought. In other words, remember. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember the gospel. Come back to Jesus. He says, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. He's talking to the the wolves who are wearing sheep's clothing. And so Paul, what did he do in those verses? He warned the believers not to be misled. Not to be misled and to remember the truth. Let me ask you a question. How will you know if I am lying to you? What's the only way you will know that I am lying to you? Say it again. Read the Bible. What would you say, Miss Wanda? Yeah, if I know the word. Yeah, if you really want to know if I'm lying to you or not, read your Bible. Because I'm going to tell you something. That Bible is 100% true. It's 100% accurate. It's 100% reliable. It's more than that. That's just the only number I can think of that means all. (laughs) But it's infinite, absolutely. It's infinite truth. It's absolutely correct. And so Paul says, don't be misled. And you won't be misled if you'll remember the truth. What, what a powerful message. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I need to do this, okay? I'm fixing to read a lengthy passage for you. I, I, I usually like to break it up, but I can't break this passage up. I'm going to read verses 42 through 58, okay? So stay with me. I'm going to read it slowly so you can absorb it, um, and you'll understand it. This is not a difficult passage, um, and I'll break it down as best I can after I get through reading it. Verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. In other words, our earthly body, what the body you and I have right now, it is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It's glorified. 
It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, and he's talking about Adam in Genesis, okay? The first man that was ever created. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, and by the way, who do you think he's talking about? Yeah, he's talking about the Christ. He's talking about Jesus. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, remember, in context, he's talking about who we are right now as opposed to who we will be when we are resurrected, okay? So it's just, here's who we are right now. Here's who we will be. We know who Adam, the first man, is. We know who Jesus is, and we know the difference. And so in verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That, that means Jesus is going to come again, and some will still be here. Some will be alive. So we, we're not all going to die a, a physical, fleshly death like those before us have. There's going to be a point when Jesus comes again and some are going to be alive. And Paul has another letter to the church at Thessalonica and he says those who are left will be what? Caught up. We use a church word called rapture. That's going to happen. The church will be raptured. Anyway, uh, I don't have time to preach that one tonight. (laughs) So he says in verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And he's quoting Isaiah 25 verse 8. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Let me tell you. Jesus did that. Isaiah was referencing Jesus. Death will be swallowed up in victory. That's Jesus. He quotes Hosea chapter 13 verse 14 and verse 55 when he says, and I know we sing the songs. I know Brother Andy sings this song a lot and using this this line, Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? And then in verse 56, he says, The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so I love this passage of Scripture because what Paul does is he says, okay, uh, right here, right now, we... 
we have flesh. We are clothed with flesh. And it is flesh that is perishable, right? Why is it perishable? Because we are sinners. <laughs> we, we are sinners. And so this flesh, right, it, 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 we've put on dishonor. We've put on corruption. It, it, it's perishable. But when the resurrection happens, we will put on the imperishable. God will clothe us, right, with the imperishable. So, so he talks about God's heavenly kingdom. That's what he's talking about. And God's heavenly kingdom is not made for our earthly bodies. God's heavenly kingdom is not made for bodies that can be affected and impacted and destroyed by sin. God's heavenly kingdom is for the imperishable, right? That's why we say, right, when we die and we are with the Lord, there is no more what? No more death. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more suffering. You want to know why? Because there is no more sin. No more fighting, right? No more arguing about which color of the carpet we're going to put down. Yeah. That's just, man, sometimes that's a fun fight, isn't it? No, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to go there, right? But our bodies, right? Paul, he, he goes on and he talks about this. Our bodies, they're like seeds. But do you know what happens? When, when Brother Elliot and all these farmers, when they put seed in the ground, the seed must die to actually do what? To grow and produce. So think about that. Look, look this earthly body's got to die so that it can be what God created it to be. Think about that for just a minute. You and I, one day, because of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to be made perfect. Oh, bring that day on. My Aunt Nancy used to say it all the time. Oh, even so, come, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. She used to say that every, every day. Not, didn't she, Mama? Oh, Lord, come quickly. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. She couldn't wait to be made perfect, especially when her body started to shut down on her, her knees. I remember holding her hand. I remember holding her hand in that bedroom. I, that that medical room at St. Francis, Uncle James was out in the hall. He couldn't even be in there with her. And I remember her last words. I'm going to be made perfect. That's what she was talking about. Mm. Good stuff. Believers will be transformed to be like Jesus forever. Believers will be transformed to be like Jesus forever. That's what Paul's talking about. We are going to put on imperishable clothes, right? Someone was, had asked me before, you know, what are we going to look like? And, and I just say, yes. <laughs> but I've read some really good books. Uh, I, I, was, I, was telling, I was telling Danielle, I was telling them at their table that Billy Graham has a book called Angels. It's one of the best books I've ever read on angels. And he is one of those that will tell you, you and I are not angels. We're not. And we'll never be angels. We weren't created as angels. We were created as human beings. Okay? The angels are created beings. They were created by God, just like you and I were created. But they're different. That's why Jesus, what did he tell the Sadducees this morning? Right? When we read in Mark. He said we will be like the angels. He did not say we would be angels. And so let's not buy into that and let's not say that. Right? 
And if we have and if we do, just repent and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, God is right. Because uh, I've had to do that. I've had to do that. Um, but we're going to be like Jesus forever. We're going to be like the angels. We're going to be glorified, right? That's our bodies, right? I, I do believe, and I, and I love this because Dr. Jeremiah says it, uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe says it, um, I, I listened to Joby Martin preach a passage on this. Do you know that we're still going to have our personalities? We're, we're still going to have some features? That's how we will know each other. But here's the thing. Your personality is going to be perfected. Right? Your body is going to be perfected. Right? And, and so we're going to be glorified. Right? We're going to be glorified. We're going to shine in glory. Why? Because we were created to do what? Glorify. But not ourselves. We were created to do what? Glorify God. What do you think is going to be happening in heaven? Praising and glorifying God forever. Right? Somebody told me one time, well, that's going to be boring. I don't know about you, but I ain't never been bored praising and glorifying God. I ain't never been bored. I ain't never been bored. Praising and truly praising and glorifying God. But I get bored real fast watching a football game that ain't going my way. I was about to turn that TV off last night until that defense scored a touchdown. And I said, okay, I might stay with it. And I'm glad I did because my team won. Anyway, uh, I've, I've been bored out on the lake before not catching a fish when I wanted to catch a fish, right? I, I've been bored before in a deer stand waiting on deer and deer didn't show up. And I got up and said, I can do better things. But I love to do those things. See, there's a lot of stuff I love to do that I get bored with. But I'm going to tell you, I've never gotten bored with my hands lifted high, focused on God. I've never been bored with that. And I hope you haven't because heaven's going to disappoint you because that's all that's going to be taking place up in heaven. Praise God, he's worth it. He's worth it. Dr. Tony Evans I love this. He, he, he talks about that first Adam. He says, from birth, all human beings are in Adam. So listen to that. From birth, all human beings are in Adam. What that means is, is we are like him. Right? He had a sin nature, so guess what? From that point on, every human being has a sin nature. From birth, we are all in Adam. But through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, we are in Christ. And therefore, we are granted hope of the resurrection of life. I love that, right? I can't say it better, so I just, I just took his words. <laughs> we are granted the hope of the resurrection, right? Because we are in Christ. And so, when the resurrection happens, we will no longer be susceptible to sin. We will no longer need the things that we have needed on this earth, right? Will there still be relationships in heaven? Absolutely there will be, and they will be, they will be perfect, right? Because you'll be perfect, and I'll be perfect, and so our relationship will be perfect because there is no sin after the resurrection. There's no sin. It's, it's not, so there's nothing that we will be susceptible to with sin, pain, suffering, sorrow, sickness, disease, death, and whatever else you want to tack on that's ugly and negative, right? Huh? Oh, hunger? Oh, yeah. And look, if you're hungry here tonight, that's your fault because there was a lot of food over there, right? But, but yeah, no longer hunger, no longer thirst, right? 
There will no longer be a sunshine. You want to know why? Because God is light. And Jesus says, no worries, stress. What else does anybody want to tack on? Yeah, no mosquitoes. I, I praise God for all of his creation, but it's real hard for me to praise him for them mosquitoes. But Yeah, that's, yeah. Why did, why did he take two of them on the boat with him? I don't know. Uh, that's a conversation I'm going to have with Noah when I get there. So, uh, But just think about that, right? Think about that. Yeah, and then and then and then the very the very last part of that, right? Paul says something that's so awesome. God gives us the victory in Jesus. Let me just tell you something. Um, there's been a many a time when I felt like a loser on this earth. There's been many a time that I did more than feel like a loser. I actually was a loser. And maybe maybe you have felt like a loser, right? And maybe you have lost. Maybe you just struck out. Maybe you just missed the game-winning shot I, in whatever area of life. But I'm going to just tell you something. When it's all said and done, and when you cross the finish line, you will be victorious. You want to know why? Because Christ is victorious. And if he is in you and you are in him, you have victory. That's, that's so beautiful. The resurrection, right? It's the finish line. <laughs> Woo, it's the finish line. We're done with this life, done with this earth, Right? I want to, I just want to I just want to hear God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And then I just want to get my praise on for him. I I I just can't wait for that glorified body that just reflects his glory. Mm, it's gonna be good. I took a lot of time in fifteen, so I'm gonna go real fast with sixteen, okay? I'm this this is your homework. You need to read chapter sixteen. But let me just tell you what sixteen is all about. Paul actually intended, his intention was to go to Corinth. He wanted to go to them so bad, but he knew that he had to finish his ministry in Ephesus. Okay? So he's writing this letter going, oh, I wish I could be there to tell you this face to face. And and I'm coming. He even says I'm coming, but I'm going to stay here until the Pentecost, right? Until Pentecost, and then I'm coming to you guys. That's what he says. My intention is to come to you Right, But let me finish this work in Ephesus. And here's what I love about that. There were many, many times when Paul wanted to go this way and Paul wanted to go that way and Paul wanted to spend this much time here and Paul wanted to spend this much time here. But do you know what Paul always did? Whatever God told him to do. If God said stay here, he stayed here. If God said go there, he went there. If God said write to them, he wrote to them. I love it. Paul was obedient. He was obedient to God's will and not his own. And I love this too because as we see in chapter 16, Paul partnered in gospel ministry with so many people. He names Timothy. He names Apollos. He names a few others. And so we need to remember that God has called us, right, together. That's what this letter has really been all about, the unity of the body, right? He has called us together to serve together, to teach together, to reach together, to minister together. And, and Paul, in this, in this final chapter, that's what he's doing. He's, he's bringing it all back. We are partners in gospel ministry. You know what he says in verse 18? He says, you guys have refreshed my spirit. Did you, did you see that? Verse 18, he said, you guys have refreshed my spirit. Let me just tell you something. There's not a there's not a moment that goes by when I'm with you that one of you don't come up and say thank you to me or that you don't pat me on the back and tell me you're doing a good job. Let me tell you what you are. You're my partners in ministry, okay? I'm not over you. 
Christ is over us. I am an under-shepherd. That's all I am. Right? I, I might be leading you here and leading you there, but I'm walking with you. You are my partners in gospel ministry. And I'm going to say this. I, I, I'm going to keep saying it. You refresh my spirit. You, you refresh my spirit. You do. And, and, and I hope that I'm able to do that for you. And let's keep on, right? Let's keep on. So I love, I love chapter 16. Even though I'm not reading it all, I want you to go back and look at it because it's powerful. Verses, I do want to read verses 13 and 14. Let's look at what it says. This is so important. He says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And verse 14, do everything in what? Love. So here's the final, the final part of this first letter that I think we just need to run with. As Christ followers, we should be alert. Be on guard means be alert. In other words, hey, you need to have your eyes open. You need to have your ears perked up. You need to have your heart open. And you need to be alert. Why? Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Not just that, there are people who need to be loved. People who need to be loved. You need to be alert. He goes on and says you need to be firm. What does that mean? That, that means you need to know who you are and know whose you are and know what the Word says and then stand up. Stand up with it, right? Again, I like what Peter said this morning when I, when I quoted Peter. You know, we want to be gentle. We want to be respectful. We want to do everything in love. Uh, but sometimes you've got to say no. And sometimes you've got to say this is what it says. Right? With impact. Absolutely. Be firm. Be courageous. Be courageous. I, a lot of what's happening, right, at, at, at our sister church. Be courageous. Be strong. And be loving. What, what awesome words. Alert, firm, courageous, strong, and loving. And I'm going to just tell you this. If you want to be these things, if you want to be these things, you must be in the Word. And the Word must be in you. You must be in the Spirit, and the Spirit must be in you. You cannot be alert. You cannot be firm. You cannot be courageous. You cannot be strong, and you cannot be loving if you are not in the Word, and the Word is not in you. You cannot be any of these things if the Spirit of God is not in you and stirring you to be those things, right? Oh, you can try in and of yourself, but guess what? You're going to fall down, <laughs> Because I have fallen down a many a time when I tried to be alert on my own or firm on my own or courageous on my own or strong on my own or loving on my own. Oh, it might have lasted five minutes, ten minutes, you know, an hour, but it did not last. But when it is of the Word and when it is of the Spirit, it will last. And it will be powerful. It will be kingdom-oriented and kingdom-impact. And so... What an awesome letter, right? It's like, where's chapter 17? Well, it's coming. It's called 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <laughs> he, he, just, he, just, he, he kept on coming, but he had to take some time to think about it. So, so let me just tell you, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm closing for the night, and uh, let me just kind of tell you what we're going to do. So over the next few weeks, um, we're going to do a tag team Bible study. Brother Andy and Brother Jeremy and I, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the letter of Galatians, right? Uh, and the reason we're doing that is because we just want to take a pause, right? Take a deep breath, 
Think about what we've learned, but most theologians agree that the first letter Paul wrote was the church was to the church of Galatians. Most theologians are absolutely adamant and agree that the first letter to any church that he wrote was that, that letter. And that letter deals with a lot of false prophecy, false teachers, false doctrines, and, and, and that's some of the challenges that this church faces. And so I just thought it'd be a good, a good break um, for, for a few weeks. It'll be five or six weeks. We'll look at this letter uh, to the church of Galatians. We're coming up on the holiday season. And so at the beginning of the year, um, Lord willing, the beginning of the year, we'll dig into 2 Corinthians and, and, and we'll see what Paul said in his next letter to the church. So just wanted to give you an idea of kind of where we're going and what we're doing, okay, on Sunday night. So uh, 